Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 615 with Kurt Steinhorst. Kurt has got some pro tips when it comes to defeating distraction, building that laser focus. You'll learn one, surprising statistics that illustrate our level of distraction. Two, the essential keys to accessing flow states. And three, how to improve your focus in just three steps. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, do drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP615. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, one of the coolest things we've got is called the Gold Nuggets, which summarize the wisdom from Kurt in an email you can read in about three minutes right to your inbox. And if you sign up for the Gold Nuggets, you also get access to the entire vault of all 615 episodes, those little quick summary write-ups. So a very handy career development resource, if I dare say so myself. And oh, it's free. <laughs> I've had several email subscribers say, is it free to sign up for this? Which I take as a huge compliment. Like, oh, thank you. You think it's so good? It should cost money? I appreciate that. Well, no, it is free. It's called The Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's Kurt's story. Kurt Steinhorst is the author of the best-selling book, Can I Have Your Attention? An expert on focus and distraction and a regular Forbes contributor on leadership strategy. Diagnosed with ADD as a child, Kurt knows intimately the challenge in keeping the attention of today's distracted workforce and customer. Through FocusWise, the company Kurt founded to help teams solve the problem of chronic distraction, Kurt and his team apply the science of how the brain works to the reality of how we function in today's world. Kurt coaches founders and CEOs of multi-billion dollar brands on how to effectively communicate and create focus when they speak to audiences, lead their employees, and engage their customers. His worldwide speeches and training have helped thousands gain the wisdom and practical habits to better manage their focus and put it on the things that really matter in life and in work. Clients include Southwest Airlines, Deloitte, J.P. Morgan Chase, Nike, and SAP, just to name a few. Big thanks to Kurt for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now here is Kurt. Kurt, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm excited to be here, Pete. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom and, uh, and much of it is, is captured in your book. Can I have your attention? But I understand when it comes to you reading books, you love fantasy novels. What's the story here? 
<laughs> I'm a nerd, really. No. So I have always enjoyed this weird genre that is fantasy novels. And then Game of Thrones came out and revealed to the rest of the world that it's not all Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Honestly, I have this part of my world where I, I work really hard and am focused on the research and, and what's happening in trends in the markets and workplace trends. And then I have this other side where I want to turn off my brain and I want to just think about a world that's not here. And so fantasy novels are really awesome for that. So then tell me, what makes a fantasy novel a fantasy novel per se? And, and what do you think is like the core stuff of it that makes it so engaging for folks? Such that some of them are like 12 plus books deep in this series and folks read them all cover to cover, front to the beginning to the end. What is it that, that glues people and yourself? Yeah, it's the same thing I think that makes anyone love any, any great story. And officially, fantasy novels take place more in the medieval times where there's swords and then there's some form of magic, which sounds super nerdy. My wife thinks that I'm crazy to love it. But what makes them powerful and, and is really great characters that have mm -hmm. complex challenges. And it turns out when you release some of the great creatives in the world to not have to be constrained by the same parameters that our, our world is constrained by, what you find is that people are really, really great at imagining things that are fascinating and interesting and make you enjoy the story just like you would any great story. Well, yeah, that is cool. And, and I think that I am thinking about sort of the hero's journey stuff. It really seems like that is just like fantasy just plays into that dead on, it seems, from my limited experience. Yeah, it's funny. If you're looking for something that's fun and that is a healthy escape, like they're really just incredible stories. So I, I didn't know I was, I was going to promote fantasy novels, but there's some <laughs> great ones out there. The Lightbringer series or by uh, Brent Weeks, the Brandon Sanderson, the Stormlight Archive. These are just some of the best novels out there. Well, a few people know that uh, their very first guest on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, Maui Asgadam, he's famous for... A lot of sort of, you know, social and emotional skills development and communication things. Uh, but he also wrote a fantasy novel <laughs> for the, the Fifth Harmony, the Third Harmony. Oh, don't tell him. I'm have to get it. So, yeah. Well, anyway, we're talking about how fantasy novels have done an amazing job of capturing people's attention for long stretches. But I understand that the world of focus and attention here and now, Kurt, isn't so rosy. We are besieged by distraction. Can you paint the picture for just how bad is it right now? Well, there, there's two levels of bad news on this front. And one is what we've been experiencing over the last decade, which is this assault on our attention in literally endless ways. So on average, you have four to 7,000 advertisements put in front of your face every single day. You know, $375 billion will be spent to get your attention. And of course, there's no safe place because the technology allows us to go anywhere and be reached. And so uh, we get a lot of stuff for free, which is exciting at Facebook and Yelp and Google. And, and then we fail to realize that they're actually charging us and they're charging us in our attention. And so the challenge is that it doesn't stay with us just when we're at home or in any place. It, it really comes into work and we end up in the situation where the volume of messages coming at us, the number of meetings that we're expected to attend, the people outside of work who can reach us, uh, put us in a place where we're going back and checking our phones 150 times a day. We on average uh, stay on the same screen for 40 seconds at a time when at work. 
And if you have Slack or you have Microsoft Teams on a second screen, that number goes down to 35 seconds. So needless to say, uh, we're really, really good at flipping based on all that's coming at us. Unfortunately, that's the one thing that will keep us from being able to do what we need to do to be able to thrive. Mm. Kurt, I love that you dropped those numbers. It, it shows you're a man who's done your research, and that's why we hunted you down. So, so I'm excited to dig into into all the more uh, goodness here. So, so wow, that, that's striking. Forty seven thousand advertising messages every day, uh, 150 times a day, uh, phone pickups in 40 seconds, average time. Yeah, that that paints a picture in terms of attention and focus being scattered uh, all over the place. And, and it's tough. I, I remember, so right now, uh, the, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, is pretty hot, and I enjoyed it. I think there's some, some good truths to be gleaned from it. So and the term that really stuck me is that we have, you refer to a phone as a digital pacifier that we pick up whenever we're the slightest bit uncomfortable, like, I'm a little yeah. bored. And that kind of spooked me a bit like, Ooh, yeah, I guess I kind of do do that. And I'd like to do do pacifier. <laughs> yeah. I've got toddlers at home. So what's the consequence of this? It's, it's a lot, a lot of phone yeah. pickups, a lot of advertising messages, uh, a very short window in which we're kind of looking at a screen, but is that fine? Kurt, is that, Hey man, life in 2020. Yeah, and the social dilemma did do a really great job of exposing some of the challenges specifically that adversarial technology, meaning technology that has different interests than, than we have, can have on us individually and, and, and even deeper on society. I think that the core challenge that we face, and there's all sorts of quantifiable ways at work that we can show the financial implications, the engagement implications the tendency that people have to, to do less work and feel more overwhelmed, right? But I think the core challenge and what I really appreciated about the social dilemma is it spotlighted that we are losing control of what actually shapes and defines every single thing about our future, which is what gets our attention, what keeps our attention, how do we take control of our attention? And, and, and so I, I think that's the core consequence because you lose control of your own attention and you lose control of everything. Mm. You lose control of your attention. You lose control of everything. Yeah, I buy that. And because instead of getting the results and outcomes that you really want and care about are important to, which would come from dedicated devotion of your attention to those pursuits, you sort of get whatever Get the algorithms uh, determined you should care about and you get hooked into. That's right. The the analogy that I would use is that we are in an ocean which has become a perfect storm. Uh, The pandemic, of course, has been Mm -hmm. uh, just added an entirely new dimension. And uh, we're not going to be able to get out of that. And I think so often what we see when people immediately hear, oh, you you think about focus and attention and distraction and, oh, I feel bad. I'm on my device when I shouldn't be. And it's like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like uh, technology is, uh, being distracted isn't being on your phone. Uh, In fact, I was walking through an airport and uh, someone had heard me speak and they walked up. I was texting my wife while walking to the gate and they said, uh, hey, aren't you the, the distraction expert? Caught you. You're distracted. <laughs> I was like, you nailed it. I am distracted by you. 
you are distracting me. Yeah, I was crafting a beautiful note to my bride. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> so distraction uh, at its core is confusion about what matters. And we're living in a world where we're increasingly confused because there's so many things screaming, this matters. And so we end up like a raft in the middle of a stormy ocean with no control rather than having the tool set to, to navigate within the world we live in to still assert control and therefore have the ability to, to get to a particular place. Okay, well, so lay it on us. How do we pull that off? You zero in on, on four key elements that affect focus. Is that where we should start or, or how would you want to tee us up? Yeah, well, I think the number one place to start is just by actually realizing that time is not your most valuable resource. The, the most valuable resource is your attention. And, and so I know that seems like, okay, we've already talked about that, but how often do people really think about what's getting their attention? Like, uh, like when you woke up this morning, not what did you do? Maybe you went on a jog. What did you think about it? Or maybe I'm optimistic. Maybe you thought about your attention was on the need to do a jog, but you didn't do it, right? But so it's the thing that fascinates me at its core is like, how do those decisions get made? Because I think where most people naturally go when they hear I'm distracted or they feel like they're inefficient, they need to be more productive, which are downstream effects of being able to manage your own attention, be able to focus, is they go towards things, life hacking tricks that for me, at least, when I started this journey into the research uh, over a decade ago, they worked great for me tomorrow, but I, at the time, they didn't work at all. And, and it's like I just kept having perfect advice that I couldn't execute on. And, and so the reason that for that is because we, we actually don't understand what human attention's for and what we're able to do and not do. And so I would start by saying like, I'm going to value my attention and know that everything comes from that. Mm -hmm. Boy, okay. So that point about those hacks, they work great for you tomorrow. By that, do you mean... You don't yet have the fundamental core in place such that those can amplify your effectiveness and it's sort of like the cart before the horse type situation? That's right. And we will seek quick tips, which by the way, are super helpful. They're really important. I'm going to give several that I think are, are important, but we do it without really understanding like what is it that's driving underneath this? What What is it that keeps me from actually doing those things? So there's no string, there's no endless amount of things that we can do. Bundle your email. Don't check your email mm -hmm. all the time, but people still do it. And, and I think the thing that I would say is, okay, so let's change the equation to really understand like how I make decisions about my attention. And, and so a couple huge mistakes. Number one, people don't understand that their attention is always going to be driven by social influence, meaning other people, what they pay attention to. Like I could be perfectly focused, but if the person sitting next to me has different ambitions, <laughs> then I'm never gonna get my work done. So like we have to say, okay, how do I change the equation and in, in, in such that it doesn't cost me more attention than I have when I'm trying to find ways to create more space so I can focus on what matters. Yeah, I think that's that, that's huge. And, <laughs> and like, you'd really have to be in a pretty hardcore sense of isolation for for those effects to to not matter much. I I think I've yeah. I think I'm just lying to myself when it's like, no, 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 this is my objective and I've determined it and this is the the schedule and thus that this is what shall be. But yeah. in practice. No, yeah. my, my dear wife or advertiser <laughs> or somebody, you know, needs something now. And that here we are. 
<laughs> That's right. And, you know, maybe if I were to say it really simply, often the, the great suggestions and strategies that we try to incorporate, they cost us the very thing we have the least of. So, like, I'm going to implement a new project management system. I'm going to change the way I do my morning every morning. I'm going to do a, th- a gratitude journal. I'm going to do all of these things. But the reason that we can't is because we're tired <laughs> and it's because we have a lot on our plates and it's because that takes work. And it's so it's like, okay, so let's maybe let's think about how we do this in a way that we can actually get it done with our attention in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, well, so let's let's get right into the core then. And it might take a while, but I think it's well worth it. So you're, you're pointing to something bigger than the tips and the tricks of the hacks of the strategies and the tactics to kind of fundamentally, how do we go about determining what gets our attention? And, 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 and I guess for many of us, the answer is probably like, I don't know, slash, it's not that clearly defined. Uh, so, so lay it on us. Like how, how do yeah. we do that? Like, what are the, yeah. the main uh, maybe archetypes or, or modes or, or flavors by which this happens? Yeah, and this is where it gets really fun. And, and there's a lot of different frameworks that we can use. But I'll use a really simple one. You have two systems of attention in your brain. And one system of attention is more based out of your right hemisphere. And uh, it, it's, we would call it bottom-up or right hemisphere attention. It's complex. Uh, this isn't the same as right brain, left brain pseudoscience. But then there's another system of attention that is more top-down is what it's called. And it's, it's um, more based in the left hemisphere. And so the right hemisphere is the baseline attention system of attention. Here's what I mean by that. Right now, there's literally endless things that are screaming for your attention. Like you could be paying attention to this podcast. You could be paying attention to the football game that's on you. Whatever. There's all sorts. You have endless options. It's hot here. Yeah, it's hot. Exactly. And we flip. We're constantly flipping. Like, But most of it, it hits the right hemisphere first. And what you're looking for is two things. Is that thing going to kill me? Mm-hmm. So I am primarily like anytime something is perceived as acutely threatening, meaning whatever that is could hurt me, I will focus on it. And that's when it flips into the other hemisphere and we give nothing else our attention. Everything else disappears. And, and so the first thing is pain, uh, fear, uh, anxiety. And now why it's really important to realize this is this is exactly what makes technology so complicated. Because technology brings things that are far away and makes it feel right here. And so we all of a sudden, we can spend our whole day saying we want to get more work done. We want to get focused. Well, what inputs are coming your way that make everything feel extremely threatening? Meaning there was a fascinating research that was done after the Boston Marathon bombing. And uh, they looked at the stress and trauma levels of people that were at the scene of the crime, of this tragedy. Then they compared it to people who consumed media about it. And the acute stress levels were higher in those that were watching it than those that were there. And, and so that tells us, like, when technology brings something to us, it, we perceive it wrongly. So our attention is going to f- always go towards threats. And then the other thing, and and I'll pause after this one when it comes to our right hemisphere, is then we're also wired to seek out new fun things. Things that our past have said that is interesting. Every time I go there, it feels good. 
or I have no idea what that is. It's new. It's interesting. That's why I'm always like, what else could be on Twitter? What else could be here? Because you're wired to explore. Your brain is made to go in search of things that are interesting. So that's the foundation for what drives our attention. Is it interesting? Is it threatening? Oh, well said. Interesting, threatening. In a nice summary. So, so we say bottom up, you mean in terms of just like there's a stimulus. And so broop, as opposed to here's my master plan and I am enacting it. That's right. Yeah, it starts in the brainstem. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's handy there in terms of threats, pain, fear, anxiety, and the novelty. And well, I guess that's why the news can really suck you in. <laughs> Because it's right. always new by definition. It's the news. That's right. This is something that has happened recently that you are probably not aware of because it was all up, it's all across the world. And right. by the way, it could be threatening you in terms of if the election outcome you find to be threatening one way or the other. If the, uh, you know, COVID right. or any number of natural disasters or economic crises. Yeah, that's, that's a real potent uh, double whammy there. Uh, the that's news right. hits you both. Yeah, and we're seeing like a 79% increase in the amount of time people are spending checking news through digital channels. And, mm. and so, like, why, does this, why is this so important? Because we pay attention to what matters the most at any moment. And uh, we say, how do I get more work done? How do I get focused? It's maybe not a life hack. It's more saying, okay, well, you're not going to focus on something that has to do with work if you don't know that it matters a ton and you don't block out, you don't spend less time on the threats that are far away that can be perceived really closely. So it, that's kind of a, a step one easy way to think about like practical implications of attention science. Yeah. It, so, I, I mean, that, that makes sense in terms of like fundamentally, principally, that's what's up in terms of like biochemistry, evolution, the human condition. Yeah, here we are. We've got some predispositions to, to go that way. I can give you a few more layers on because clearly we're not just we're not monkeys, we're not cows. Yeah. Like I mean, cows they eat the grass because it tastes good. They have an associated reward, and they run away from wolves. Like that's what they do. Like we're not we're not just that. So that's where the other system comes in, the other system of attention. It allows us to say, I'm not. I'm going to ignore that that interesting thing right now that doesn't matter. And I'm going to focus on something uh, unilaterally. This is the type of work people really want when they say, I want to get focused. And, mm -hmm. and some would say the ultimate state of that type of focus is what's called flow. Now, what happens there is that uh, when we have our attention prioritized by the left hemisphere, the things that are unfamiliar, it literally, you don't see it anymore. You don't hear it anymore. It all disappears. Like you can zoom in for periods of time and it can be extended. And there's ways we can increase and decrease our capacity. But um, ultimately, we do those things when it's challenging, it demands something from us, when the barriers to other fun things that give us a reward are not available, meaning I need to work on a research project for a, a bank that I'm working with right now, but I also would love to see what my fantasy football team is doing. Like, I'll do the easier thing. Right. And when we see that we can make real progress towards it. So like I feel some level of mastery. Uh, if it's just a list of tasks, then it's not it's, it's not satiating. Like we can't make our attention go to things that are boring and uninteresting. They have to be challenging and interesting, new and interesting, threatening and interesting.
Yeah, you know, run the bias again. So we got the mastery. We've got barriers to easier, fun things. Yes. And what else? Yeah, so it has to be challenging, meaning it has to demand enough of our brain mm-hmm. that we, we, we won't drift off. Like boredom's the number one reason people leave jobs. Like it doesn't take enough. Any machine could do this, right? So challenging. This is hard. It has to involve something that we see ourselves getting, becoming an expert, mastery. Like by, by working on how to ride a bike, I'm going to be an ex, like I can, I can do that. By becoming a financial advisor, by learning the markets, I'm going to be the expert in the markets, right? Whatever it is, we have to see that connection. And then we have to have things that are uh, fun, not available to us. Okay. So, so there it is. Yep. All right. Well, so, so given that, Let's say we want to, at the very core, primal, fundamental level, focus in on something. What should we do? Yeah. So start with space. Decide where you're going to do it. That's really important. Uh, The largest neural connection between short-term and long-term memory is space, meaning I walk into a place and it says, my brain is cued to say, this is what I'm supposed to do here. That's so we want to we want to let our space work for us. If I ask everyone, like, where were you when you heard about what happened in the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001? Everyone remembers where they were. And so uh, I would say if I want to zero in on something, I got to pick a place that the noise isn't too loud. Uh, doesn't mean coffee shops can be really great for this, by the way. It's uh, for a different reason, but I'm going to pick this place is where I'm going to work and the other stuff isn't available. Like we call it going into a vault that I'm going to, my phone isn't going to be as available. My people are going to know I'm not available. This is where I do that. So space is the first thing I would always tackle. Okay. Understood. So I, I like that metaphor, going into a vault, which which really, yeah. I'm thinking about Fortnite, the vaults. The, you know, <laughs> it's a, a huge iron enclosure with a big old dial. <laughs> Like, boom, we're going in there and it's, it's, it's secure. Like you get lots of gold bars in this vault. That's right. Okay. And and so then, so so that's good and clear in terms of others know, you know, Hey, I'm not to be disturbed right now. Uh, Ideally your, your phone is off or distant, uh, you know, left in another location and, and there could be any number of distractions not available to you. Like the fridge is not there or that's right. Well, lay it on us. Like, like what are, what are best practices for vaulting? <laughs> yeah. It, it depends on the type of work. Truly the like number one practice is clear uh, barriers to entry in and out. That's like the simple way to think of it. Like I use noise canceling headphones cause it's the random unexpected that you're like, Oh, that would be interesting. Your line of sight is the next thing I would do turn off the background noise or put on classical music and and then make sure that what I see in front of me isn't stuff that would make me want to do it instead. Like like a PlayStation. Right. Like a PlayStation. <laughs> Don't have that there. Like a TV. That's right. Or uh, you're in an open office. We'll come back there eventually. And Or you're in the same, work in the same space as someone you know. Like we are social. Like I, I'd rather talk to them than do this, right? So we just remove, change our line of sight. Uh, it's really, those are kind of the big areas that I would be thinking about. And then from there, I, I think it really comes down to if you're wanting to do more creative work, then having um, the ability to see outside is really valuable. Like the more distant the horizon is, it actually shows that you can, it, it allows you to think more creatively. If you're wanting to like knock out an Excel spreadsheet, then it's actually tighter rooms like where you're, the blinders are on are more helpful. 
Yeah. Well, I've got HGTV scenes running through my head right now, you know, in terms yeah. of they're designing spaces for purposes. And it's not just frilly stuff for designers to, you know, charge more. It has a huge impact in how well you're able to accomplish whatever you care to accomplish in that space, whether that's make food or sleep or, you know, crank out work. That's right. Yeah. And, and I would say, okay, if you're having to work from home, we need to move. Once we hit a certain threshold, we get bored. We have to go to somewhere else. So if it's like, just match the space to the task, right? Uh, if it's cranking out a bunch of emails or responding to quick messages or just whatever work you're doing that's quick and easy that you can bundle together, that doesn't require tons of focus, do it wherever. But like that work that that by in, being interrupted, you lose significantly in time and quality. And you know what that is that demands your full attention. Just pick a place where that's all you do. Like that is the place where the hard work gets done. You know, I like that a lot. Okay. So we talked about our vault. What else? Yeah. So space first. And then the next piece I would, I would say is like creating the, the clarity and removing the stuff that clutters your mind that you also feel like you have to get done. So for instance, the number one predictor of how often you self-interrupt is how many people interrupted you the previous hour, <laughs> how often you were interrupted. Because what that, anytime you're interrupted, hmm. someone is saying, you should be paying attention to something else. There's something else that, you, that you're missing, right? And, and so it's really hard to say, I'm going to focus on this when your list of things that are on your mind that you know you have to get to is really long. And so we start a couple really, really easy ways to solve this and make it easier on your brain is number one, starting with, do this in every meeting, is what's competing your attention? I start by just doing a dump brain dump, anything that's like, oh, I got to get to this. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. Like, And that's why it's really good to, at the beginning of the day, kind of plan out your day by saying, these are the things I have to get done. These are the things I could get done. So I start by just offloading everything. And then the next really important piece, if you want to do focused work that's in the vault, is you have to match the time to the task. So you match the space to the task. Now you match the time. You schedule out. You say, this is going to take me 45 minutes. And all the stuff that I have to do that I know is important, I've scheduled it. Like I've, I've given the time that is necessary for it. So then I'm not burdened by what else I haven't gotten to. I'm aware that there's time allotted for it. Yeah, that's huge in terms of you can just rest easy knowing that that has a place and it's going to get handled as opposed to, eh, might this not get done and calamity ensue? Uh, I hope not. That's right. And, and the other problem is I've, I've had this happen frequently that a client will say, well, but if I look at my calendar, I've got, like there's still all this stuff I can't get done. So you know, I end up putting 15 minute increments for things that need an hour. Right. Okay, great. Well, then, you know, on the front end and you got to either dump it or delegate it. Right. You got to you got to trash it. So that at least at the end of the day, you've had permission to be successful. Like if, if your day is scheduled to such a level that it's going to come apart at the seams at some point, that's the fastest route to get to less of it. Like when you're overwhelmed, what do we do? Like what, what do you do when you're already feeling guilty and like, oh, this is the worst. We watch funny cat videos. Like that's what we do. Yeah, we, uh, uh -huh. we escape it completely because we want to alleviate that feeling of disappointment, shame, regret. Yeah. So when it, comes to changing that equation, you just you you move from just a to-do list to a prioritized to-do list, and you then move from a prioritized to-do list to, to a calendared, uh, time-stamped uh, approach. Like, let your calendar be your home screen and let that guide what you work on. And that changes, I would say, most people have not implemented that in my work. And if you just did that, 
you'd get probably 80% improvement. Like you'd get a long way. Now, there's one problem that I have to mention on this. And it's one of the reasons that people often struggle with this is that turns out people are really unreliable when it's not what they want to do. <laughs> and so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, let's put some breathers in here and say, I'm not a robot at 4 p.m. I will, if I put that huge project that I've been delaying, like I'm, odds are I'm probably not going to want to do it right then. And, and so I would just say, make sure you put the stuff that you hate the most at the times when you're most mentally strong, which usually is more in the morning for most people. And secondly, if you're someone who really is ADD, really struggles with this, but just put some gaps where you have like three different things and let yourself choose which one you want to work on at the moment. Yeah, that is good. But because uh, I, I think that that's, that's some resistance to this idea is like, oh, but then I feel boxed in. Yeah. You know, it, it, well, it's sort of like, well, in some ways, that's sort of the point. You need a box in order to accomplish the thing that is really matters that isn't getting accomplished. But in other ways, hey, if if the, if it is flexible, like like one task is not truly way more important than another, then you know, okay, game on. We can we can have some some flexibility there. Yeah, you're wired to explore. You're creative. You're uh, you do the unexpected. This is what makes us actually better than machines. Machines are always going to be more efficient than us. So I just think rather than being really frustrated with yourself, uh, you just say, how do we put that nat natural curiosity and interest in the unexpected? How do we put it to good use rather than make it end up being debilitating so that we end up nowhere? Okay. Well, this is beautiful. So we, we've got the space. We've got the, the time. What else? Then we got the people. We got the mm -hmm. people. And the work I do, this is perhaps the most underutilized piece of the equation that when we look at it, organizations, if you work at a company, they want you to be productive. But then we put in systems and we create culture and we have teams that uh, all but ensure it will never happen. <laughs> so it's like there's a 55% increase in the number of meetings and calls per week right now from before. Ooh, as compared to when? From before when COVID started. For pre-COVID? Okay. From March until now, we're seeing a 55% increase. Like I was created this really fun program with Nike called the Focus Fit Challenge. And it's like a four-week thinking of focus as a, a skill to develop. And like, you know, we were looking at this team and it turns out like seven hours of meetings is makes it really unlikely that you're going to be able to do anything else really well. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, I, I would say the next thing is to say who steals my attention or who needs my attention. How do I have a conversation that says, because no one benefits from your partial attention. But the reason we all want your, each other's attention is because attention is given to what matters. It says we matter. And it also helps other people help us know what matters. And so I would just say, like, like look at the people who are most likely to want to interrupt you, to want to take from you, to, to deserve your attention, and, and set up some ground rules that says, during this time, I'm not going to be available at all. During this time, I'm going to be only available to you. And let's figure out what that needs to look like so that now you have advocates for people that previously would have been frustrated because it was, it was only going to take a second. I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. And if we warp the space-time continuum, it'll only take a second, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then that that can feel really good. Yeah. Well, and I guess and I guess that sort of gets to all of this is that it's kind of about getting really real. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Early instead of late. 
in terms of like, like not overscheduling, then the day comes apart at the seams and you feel like a loser failure because, because you ruined it or, and not with people, you know, telling them you get this much time or you don't get this much time and then either disappointing them or you, you know, not following through. It's like, you're making the calls in advance in terms of this is going to happen. This is what's not going to happen. And I, and, and, and I am comfortable and responsible with regard to the consequences of it, as opposed to, well, I hope I can maybe get lucky and get it all done. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when we look at and we see how people are feeling about work, you know, there's been a over 31% increase in burnout during this period, even though at the beginning, we got a lot of things cleared from our plates. Um, there's been this 48% increase in team chats. And it makes sense it really does. Like, if we can't see you, then we want to hear from you more often. Like, and But what's happening is we're creating a culture where responsiveness is everyone's highest responsibility. And then we see and we wonder why disengagement occurs, frustration occurs. People feel like there's less work-life balance. They can't unplug. At home, relationships suffer. At work, relationships are not being built because we're dislocated. And, and so, all I would just say is it's about being proactive in this, but it's about really giving yourself permission to succeed. Like, this is the challenge is when, when we react and don't set clear, agreed-upon expectations, what we end up doing is we allow the unspoken expectations of others to drive us, and then we actually teach them what they should expect. And so now mm-hmm. we're emailing immediately back, and now they're frustrated if we don't. That's right. So if you reliably don't respond to emails for a day like the CEO of uh, Zappos, Tony Shea, then guess what? No one expects it. If you, now I understand some people are like, I'm not, like, tell my boss this. Great. Let's start with all the other relationships you have a little more power over, setting some healthier boundaries. And then we can have a conversation with your boss about saying, if I want to do this really well, can we set some rules around how I know when I'm allowed to do the uninterrupted work? You know what I mean? So like, like, but let's start with like the people that we care about and just say, let's figure this out together. Sure thing. Or, or even just yourself in terms of no, 7.15 to 7.45, yeah. I'm not looking at any devices. I'm taking a shower. I'm journaling, you know, whatever. Like, And yeah. then, yeah, I mean, I mean, start not at the hardest possible boundary to enforce, but at the easiest. That's right. And, you know, here's the other thing. One of the reasons we, we were like, I'm not going to do it from 7.15 to 7.45. Look, if the alternative, if, if like you're going to stop looking at your phone because uh, while you sit on a couch and watch TV or, you know, the rule becomes about constraint rather than saying like, what's this replacing? So make sure that, that if you're going to set ground rules, make it because there's something better. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. like from 7.15 to 7.45, I'm going to have a fun, uh, high-low day to talk about that. Or I'm going to take my kids on a wagon ride. Like have something proactive. And then before you get into it, give mind a gap. Like give yourself a gap that says, I've just looked at everything in the world. Nothing needs my attention now. And now I'm going to actually give myself permission to just be here. So like close up before so you know nothing matters. And then mm-hmm. do something fun, do something that does matter with that time. That's perfect. Well, Kurt, I think you've done a fantastic job of diagnosing like what's going on here and, and why, why do we find ourselves in this spot and, and what are some things we can do? Lay it on us. You've, you've shared this wisdom with many people. Uh, I'm sure some have adopted it to tremendous effect and many others have done nothing. 
Why? What's sort of like the holdup, the roadblock, the mistake, the thing that you could help us uh, overpower so that we're in the uh, the group that transforms? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple things that that would do that would that would drive our inability to to see real progress here. One is that we we actually don't know why we're doing it, and the point of efficiency and boundaries around these things always has to be founded in something worth focusing on. Yeah. And so people aren't going to just be more efficient and productive if the end is just more efficiency and productivity and climbing a ladder without a picture of where they're headed. And so I would say biggest thing is like, know what you're devoting this extra uninterrupted energy to and know that it's worth it. Yeah, that's great. Well, Kurt, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. You know, I would just say focus is possible, but like the goal not to be an efficient machine, make the goal instead to eliminate all the stuff that wastes your time, distracts you, uh, so that you can actually have a chance to to really thrive in this moment. And so I, I was diagnosed with ADD as a kid. And so I'm all too familiar with distraction. And what doesn't help us is an unrealistic expectation towards efficiency without a realization that we're all capable of focus when we know what matters. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah. My favorite quote is, tell me what you pay attention to, and I will tell you who you are by Jose Ortega y Gasset, a Spanish philosopher. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Hmm. Well, I already mentioned the Boston Marathon research. I've been using that. I, I think that's really, really interesting and fascinating. The interesting study out of Michigan State talks about how uh, walking through nature actually restores your attention. It's called attention restoration theory. And I'm really fascinated by how subtle amounts of background noise actually increase our ability to focus. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I can't let that go. If I wanted to get me some of that, What do you recommend I do for my subtle amounts of background noise? You know, coffee shop, subtle background noise there. I I would say the key is if you can get outdoors and into actual nature, that's the number one thing you want to do. If you can't, having the feeling of movement is good. You just don't want it to be people that you know. So you want to go places where the noise is has a small amount of noise. It's, it creates what's called the in, inhibitory spillover. It it forces a system in your brain to inhibit, block out everything. So you just want it kind of a mm-hmm. dull lull in a subtle stimulation through movement that's in the background. So coffee shops are actually probably like the perfect place to be able to get that. Mm, okay, thank you. And how about a favorite book? There's a book called The Social Animal by David Brooks that I think is the most entertaining and beautiful narrative on the fullness of human sociology and psychology right now. So if you want to understand like all that's out there in a really fun way, that's the book I would recommend. Okay, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job. I've gotten really where I love the the tool Notion. And mm-hmm. the reason I love Notion is it's it's a system that you can build on, but it's uh, it allows for me to have full visibility on all the tasks I need to do. But even deeper, it allows me to have content that gets linked and referenced across. So it's not me having 12 versions of Google Docs, but it's I use databases and things like that to be able to consolidate research and consulting work and strategies into a single place. And have a favorite habit? I have a, uh, a monthly note 
that is my idea, interesting ideas and thoughts. And why, so I actually used to use Evernote, now I switched to Notion, and anything I'm thinking about, like, oh, gosh, that podcast, I really want to watch that podcast, or someone recommended an article, or a quote I came across, or I should use one kind of sunscreen versus another, like anything, rather than trying to file it, I throw it all in a single note, and then once a month, I do a full review. Like, even when I read articles, I don't, I'll I'll keep the whole article if it's like for my space, but if it's not, I'll just pull out the quotes and link it so that at the very least, if it's something I found interesting, I will review it twice. And then mm-hmm. I'll file it wherever it belongs later, but I feel no pressure. I just dump it in a single spot. Cool. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you frequently? I think, I guess the thing I see on Twitter more than anything is is the very basic, that your attention is the most limited, valuable, precious, and misunderstood resource. And there is no greater gift that you can give to someone than your undivided attention. And folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? The website probably is the first place, focuswise.com. And if they want to add an email, my email is cs at focuswise.com. And then uh, social platforms are complicated, but if that's your cup of tea, LinkedIn is definitely the place that I'm most engaged. All right. And uh, any final challenges or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? You can make some simple changes. Don't do it by putting more work on your plate. Do it by making your space help you out and do it by just looking at your time and saying, I'm going to divide my time. I'm not going to divide my attention. Kurt, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and success in all the things you're attending to. Hey, this has been my joy. I'm really grateful for the time. I really loved how Kurt made it very simple. Like, hey, you want more flow states? Sure, I certainly do. There's three ingredients. They need to be challenging. It needs to be interesting. And you have to feel a sense of progress. And I'm intrigued how I think a lot of games just do this so perfectly. And it's intriguing, like the more you can make the work that's demanded of you right in front of you resemble a game, it, hey, it's kind of challenging. Hey, I think I'm getting better at this. And ooh, that's interesting. There's something to shoot or discover or explore or solve. That's real handy. So again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP615. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Brandon Smith. Brandon has figured out how we can live, operate, be optimal in a world in which everything is urgent. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.